This is the XE Top 5 Podcast for September 20th, is when we're going to be posting this, 2020. Uh, my name is Michael Doyle, and I am joined, as always, by Alex Sear. Hey, Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yes, in the, the magic of uh, podcasting, we are recording this on a Saturday afternoon. So, I, what is it, the 19th today? Today's the 19th. Yeah, so hopefully nothing extraordinary happens in the next uh, 24 hours or so before we actually post this live for everyone to listen to. Uh, and Andrew Crookshank in Toronto as well. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm good, thank you. I yeah. Just, I assume you're in Toronto. I actually have no idea where you are. Uh, don't <laughs> yeah, reckon- you jump around a lot. Yes, I am. I am in Toronto right now. Yeah, it's, of course, listeners can't see uh, that we're seeing each other via the zoom call here but i don't recognize this room you're in so i i I don't know where you are you're somewhere in toronto uh guys before we jump into these five five topics which include uh the magical uh incredible joshua chepta guy going for yet another incredible world record uh this year as well as a little diamond league recap and a very corrupt world athletics, former world athletics leader, maybe doing prison time for a whole bunch of embezzlement, as well as a extraordinary world record, uh, age graded world record in the half marathon. Uh, I thought first we'd talk really quickly about about virtual races, um, just because it's sort of the hot thing that's happening right now. Obviously, there's a lot of people that have been running. Uh, Boston Marathon's virtual event kind of opened up last weekend. There were a lot of people out last weekend running uh, a the distance, uh, 26.2 miles, 42.195 kilometers. Uh, and it stirred up a little bit of controversy online, and I'm curious to hear your guys' point of view about this, that certain people apparently, uh, there's a, there are differing opinions about how to do a virtual event race particularly a long distance like a marathon and some people are running one marathon but then submitting that effort that time uh to various races so they're counting it as like their boston run their london marathon run their like local race that's doing a virtual run all this all for the same i assume to collect the medal like First of all, what's like Alex? What's your thoughts on uh, on triple dipping for uh, for one race? Yay or nay? Well, I think these people are genius. They're finding the way to do the least amount of running for the most amount of medals. That's the code I've been trying to crack for years. So I don't know. Kudos to them. Um, <laughs> I I mean, it's it's weird. It's weird. Like I think these are the same people who double dip their chips and in, in dip like that kind of defeats the purpose even people who like medals like this is what i find i keep my medals okay i'll I'll say that right oh, now you're, keep, you're a medal keeper oh wow I'm a medal keeper yeah and when the reason is when i look at my medal it reminds me of the race memory that's <laughs> that's the beauty of it and now you're gonna have three stupid medals that remind you of the same race i don't see the point yeah. Uh, Andrew, do you, A, do you keep your medals? It's an interesting question because you guys just to kind of like for, for listener uh, clarity, you are both uh, lifer runners. You've been running since you were kids. Both of you, you're both trackies. Uh, 
and I've come to dis- to find that typically uh, trackies are they're a little bit of a different breed than your 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 adult road runner who maybe discovered running as an adult and has been running recreationally as an adult. Um, so maybe, but maybe tracky nerds also keep all their medals too. I have no idea. Andrew, do you keep your medals? Do you have like a, do you have an incredible display just beyond what we can see on the zoom call right now? I wouldn't say incredible. I, I do tend to keep my medals, but they, they tend to be the ones that I feel that I've earned. And so I should preface that because I'm not saying people didn't earn their medals when they run, but I'm not a huge, I don't feel a a real nostalgia or attachment to say a participant medal. If I enter a a race where they're giving everyone medals, I, you know, I'm less likely to take one of those because it doesn't mean as much to me. Whereas if I win the race and I'm presented with a medal, then I'm more likely to hold on to it um, because I feel a little bit more like I earned it then. But uh, yeah, I don't know. This is, it's an interesting phenomenon. I, I kind of wonder whether there's like a, a time limit on this, like with this one effort, does this mean, you know, like the, the 5k time that I ran in my prime, like five years ago, can I start submitting that now to, uh, no, 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 no. I think there's a, there's a window that you have to adhere to. No, you can't like go dig up your like old GPS files from your, from five years ago and submit your best all time time. I mean, you might be able to hack that in some way and change the, like the date, uh, the timestamp on your file. I'm sure somebody has probably tried to do that in the world at some point, but yeah. You could no. also just give someone your Garmin, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you like, could, I, I guess. No one would know. You could just get on a bike and like, you know, try to simulate the running pace by not surging too much or, or whatever, but. But this is, again, this is like, this defeats the whole purpose of all of this, which is having the experience running the thing, running the thing, um, and participating in, in some sort of, I guess, some semblance of a, a globalized event where you feel, I guess, a, a sense of community and closeness with fellow runners that are also doing the same event on either the same day or in the same week or, or same time period, um, and there's leaderboards and that sort of thing. I mean, it's the virtual races make sense. It's it's the best we've got right now, right? Uh, just beyond like very small little races. Um, but fair, you should still only have one medal per race that you finish. I used to, so in undergrad, I used to keep all my bibs too. So I would hang up my medals and bibs to something that my roommates would call the wall of narcissism. And <laughs> the the bibs that I hung up on there there's, I had a period in my first year where I didn't finish a few races at like in succession. Okay. And I put those bibs on the wall too. And I remember looking at those bibs and feeling guilty because they didn't, they didn't signify a race finish. There was a race entry. It wasn't the same. Ah. So I, I feel there must be some sort of guilt, maybe not right now when these runners are getting the medals and they're still in awe by the medals. But what about in a year's time when you look at those three medals on your wall and you do think, Deep down, you know to yourself you've only finished the one marathon for the three of them. Yeah, particularly if it's a big deal like the Boston Marathon where they mail you. Presumably, they're going to be sending out, um, to my understanding, they're going to be sending everyone out the finisher's medal from the Boston Marathon that you otherwise would have uh, obtained by crossing the finish line in Boston. And uh, for a lot of people, that's a really big deal. So seems to like, I mean, A, kind of cheapen it that you're doing it virtually. I know, I know that's a, that's a hot take. I know that's going to be a controversial point of view for a lot of people. Um, 
because Boston's a very specific experience. Never mind the like fact that you've got to qualify and whatever, but also just the race itself. The course is really hard. Uh, it's very hilly, a lot of downhill actually. It wrecks your legs. It's a very hard thing to accomplish. So when you cross the finish line of the Boston Marathon, you really feel like you've accomplished something. Um, and so if you're also doubling up and that, that race counts for something else at the same time, I think that that's a bit that's a bit dirty. It's a bit wrong to do that, I think. I think you're you're cutting some corners there. You have to live with yourself, of course. It's your choice. Uh, other thought that was stirring up a bit of conversation in the last me- a week on social about these virtual races is particularly with the marathon, stopping the watch. What do you guys, what's your take on that? So you're running 42K. You're out to do your virtual marathon. You've got your course mapped out. You know, it's a big effort. Uh, And maybe you're not racing it the way you would before. Maybe you're not going all out and you've not trained really, really hard for it. But, you know, you've put in some long runs and that sort of thing. You're ready to run it. And you start, you're running for five or 10 kilometers, and then you need to go to the bathroom. Do you stop the watch? No, you get caught. You don't do it because you get caught. I'm pretty sure that on Strava, you can also check how long the activity lasted. Yeah. So for example, you start your watch at 2 p.m. You stop it for five minutes. You run a two-hour marathon, but it'll still show that even though you're active on watch time has been two hours, the total time is two hours, five minutes, and you can tell where the stop is. There's someone I know, we're not going to name names, fake time trial day 1500 meter this is a varsity athlete and this person got outed on strava by some avid strava users because they saw that this person took a break every every lap it ended up being a workout <laughs> that's incredible <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then you know the caption is is you know 1500 meter pb but in reality it, it took this person eight minutes to to, to do it oh god well, yeah i mean well, don't do it. You're going to get embarrassed by your friends. Yeah. I think, I think it is. I think what it is, is in the sort of recreational running community, the greater conversation is kind of like, well, a virtual marathon is more about finishing the distance and s- celebrating the event and the fact that you're out running than it is the strict rules and regulations of a typical race. Um, and so if I pause my watch for 90 seconds and run into the Starbucks uh, to use the bathroom so that I can, you know, keep running without embarrassing myself uh, or like peeing in public in a major city or whatever, then, you know, that should be allowed, which I can kind of understand. But at the same time, like, I think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that it's like a race is a race, like even if it's a virtual race. Do it out of respect for Shalane Flanagan, who had to stop by the porta potty in twenty was it twenty eighteen when she won the New York Marathon? Uh, no, you're thinking of in Boston in twenty eighteen. She stopped during that really terrible uh, weather year. She she had like the crazy fast uh, porta potty stop. She didn't end up winning the race, but she, that was Desi's year. Yes, yes, you're right. That was when she was running with Desi, and she stopped, and then she maybe caught up back to her. I think she but did. I, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah, yeah. Out of respect for Shalane for making that quick of a porta potty stop and then joining her, her teammate again. Yeah, it should all, it should be all part of it. Anyway, let's move on to the next topic. Next topic. 
Joshua Cheptegei is target, targeting yet another world record uh, in this crazy, bizarre pandemic year that we're uh, that we've been living through. Uh, this one is in Valencia. Um, Andrew, tell us a little bit about this about this world record attempt that's coming up. It's pretty fascinating. It's kind of unusual. I'm excited about it, and I'm wondering if Chapter Guy is going to kind of steal the show this year. It's supposed to be. This is supposed to be all about uh, uh, Kipchoge versus Bekele at the London Marathon in October. But it seems to me that like Chapter Guy is the one who's having the big year in 2020. Yeah, Chepta guy's just crushing races left and right right now. Um, he showed crazy fitness by running the 1235 for 5,000 meters in Monaco on August 14th, setting the world record there. Um, and now his team has set up a 10,000-meter uh, world record in Valencia on October 7th. It's going to be an event called NN Valencia World Record Day. So it's, it's named just for him. Um, the current world record for 10,000 meters sits at 2617 right now. It stood for 15 years, held by none other than Kenanisa Bekele, um, who also held the, uh, the 5,000 meter world record, which Cheptegei broke. Um, but the thing is, Cheptegei's best 10K time is only 2648. So he's Brutal. pretty far off it right now. <laughs> but then again, we saw with the, the 5,000 meter, his, his previous PB there was 1257, and he, he he beat by over 20 seconds. So the guy, uh, <laughs> this guy is the limit for this guy as of right now. Uh, Alex, Chapter guy appears to be pretty confident that he's going to break this record. Uh, what are others saying about, about what he's capable of doing where I've heard there's been some talk that there's, there's some very, there's some very uh, knowledgeable people in the running world that feel that he's going to just blow this out of the water, which, which blows my mind. Yeah, well, aside from Cheptegei being confident, the thing with Cheptegei is he hasn't really put a a time goal other than, or he hasn't announced a time goal other than the fact that he wants to break the record. But then you have Renato Canova, who's the Italian coach, who's basically Kenya's brother, Colin O'Connell, if brother Colin was in the mafia. He coached Caleb Nadiku, Saif Shaheen, Moses Mozop, some world record holders or previous world record holders. He knows his stuff. And he told, Canova told Let's Run that he thinks 25.59 is possible for Cheptegei. And that would be huge. So I was just looking at the IAAF table for fun and see what the 25.59 would compare to in other uh, men or male distance events. And it would compare to a 324.1500. Okay, so that's a world record by two seconds. A 716, 3000 meters. So again, under the world record, a 1229, 5K, which is faster than what Cheptegei ran, where he set the world record, and a 56, 58 half marathon, <laughs> uh, which is, yeah, a minute under what the current uh, half marathon is, I think 5801. The funny thing, though, is like in making those comparisons, what did that uh, equate into a marathon is 20107, which is like. Ah. Not that far off what the world record is right now uh, for Kachogi. So um, I guess just another testament to how crazy the marathon time is. But funny enough, compare it to the 100 meters and um, a 25.59 would compare down to or would convert down to a 9.66. So it's still not <laughs> in bolt territory. But um, anyway, this is all speculation. We'll see what Chepta guy actually can run, but I think it's his quick, uh, 
ascension that's made people super excited around him. It's funny seeing Canova say that about him. Yeah, I think I think he's just based on the five thousand performance uh, last month. Was it last month? It feels like both forever ago and not that long ago at the same time. Yeah, uh, one month. It was about a month ago. Yeah. It, based on that performance and the way he's looking right now, he's looking quite unbeatable and quite confident. Like you th- you look at the way an athlete executes in the second half of a big performance. And in that 5k, he just looks so steady. And you looked at the splits, they were so even all the way through right to the end. You just got to think that this guy is going to really just get completely execute a nail on a, a nail, a 10 K uh, if he's, you know, as long as he's fit and healthy, which by all accounts he is. So I, I think he's going to break it. Uh, I think the bigger question is if Cheptegei breaks both of Bekele's really incredible uh, track records that have been standing for a long time, you say with this one, Andrew's 15 years now that this this record's been standing, even if there's an incredible performance in London next next month in the marathon, is this still, is Cheptegei still the number one performer in 2020? I mean, what would it take in London to outdo what Cheptegei has done this season? Yeah, I think, I think for me, they'd have to go sub two. I kind of feel like it would have to be a sub two hour marathon for them to kind of outdo what Cheptegei is going to do, especially if he ends up running 25-59, then I, I don't know if they can touch that. That's kind of ridiculous, but um, even with just both world records, I, I feel like it'll have to be for sure a, a marathon world record and, and a sub two hour race, I think. Yeah. I think the the round number of one fifty nine something, something is imperative here to really kind of wow people. And I mean, I know world record will wow people, but because Kipchoge is already gone sub two in an unsanctioned event, I think that short of a sub two it's uh, it's not going to have quite the sizzle, uh, unfortunately. Anyway, let's move on to the next topic. Next topic. And guys, honestly, I, I didn't expect this day to come. I have to say. Uh, a former global athletics kingpin was found guilty of corruption and has been sentenced to two years in prison in a French court. Uh, Alex break down uh, what has happened here. It's taken a long time to find uh, Lamine Diak guilty of this, uh, of this corruption. Tell us a little bit about what he's found guilty of. Yeah, well, it took so long that some people might have even forgotten his name, but Lamine Diak was the president of World Athletics back when it was called IAAF, so between 1999 and 2015. And yeah, he's going to spend the next two years in jail and pay 500 euros of fine for taking bribes from Russian athletes and covering up their doping infractions. So um, it looks like Diek was taking bribes of 100 to 500,000 euros from 23 different Russian athletes in a scheme that uh, they dubbed and he called full protection. So the operation involved at least five other senior administrators including Diak's own son. And all of those administrators, uh, including the son, the son's name is Papa Masata, uh, they were all given jail sentences. And Masada, 
uh, the son was sentenced to five years and fined 1 million euros. So it looks like he was almost the king, kingpin of the operation. He funneled 15 million euros into his own business ventures. Now, uh, senior Diak, who's now 87 years old, was told by the judge that he could expect conditional release because of his age. Um, and he left it saying that he would definitely appeal the sentence. So it's not over. So, you know, there's a crazy amount of corruption in during the, the Diak uh, reign at the IAAF, now known as World Athletics. Uh, Andrew, do you think this signals the end of an era? And I mean, God, I know Sebastian Coe is happy that or, or hoping that this signals the end of an era and that everyone can move forward and forget about that that uh, stretch of about 15 years of corruption. But do you think it's going to signal the end or do you think that um, this is a sport that's kind of doomed to some form of corruption uh, from here on in? Well, I just want to say first, it it takes a lot to be, like you have to do something really pretty shitty to make doped Russian athletes look like the good guys, right? I, I mean, this guy was blackmailing them. Um, apparently he took, uh, they called it, according to the Guardian, he took hush money from these Russian athletes. Like it was the equivalent of $3.8 million US. So he, so he was like blackmailing them. Um, and his son uh, also reportedly told the Guardian, he said, I'm appealing their stupid decision. My lawyers were not there in June because of COVID-19. This trial was a joke. So it, it sounds like they're not even taking it seriously, um, which, which brings me to the point of like, it's no wonder people have trouble trusting organizations like World Athletics and, and putting faith in them when the senior administration are, are blatantly disregarding the integrity of the sport and the, the well-being of the athletes. Um, so it, it's a pretty tough PR nightmare to bounce back from. I, I think you're right. I think Sebco is hoping everyone just forgets about this. Maybe that's in part why they changed the name from IAAF to World Athletics, uh, just to kind of separate themselves from that and say, hey, we're moving forward. But I, I don't know. I mean, we talked last time about how the um, United States uh, anti-doping agency was complaining about how WADA was was not cracking down on Russia enough and they were planning on leaving. And until all that gets sorted out, I, I just I think we're going to be kind of bogged down in this. I don't necessarily see this as a, as the end of, of corruption and track and field or the end of doping. It, it must be noted that um, some of the players, uh, the secondary figures of those five uh, former IAAF officials, uh, have been uh, found guilty in absentia because in absentia because they obviously were not able to be brought to France to be charged, including uh, Diak's son Papa Diak. He's in Senegal, I believe, and will probably never leave Senegal. Um, certainly, never enter. Uh, France uh, ever again uh, out of fear of ending up in prison. So these guys are never going to serve those prison times. They're never going to see this money back. Um, I found it kind of a little bit humorous that the French court awarded World Athletics uh, several million euros. I think it was something like 16 million euros. The number is correct. I'm just going off the top of my head here. Uh, as like uh, as a reward or uh, compensation um, for the, the wrongs that were done to them, I guess. But I, I am just cynical about the whole thing. And 
I think as long as there is so much, you know, focus and uh, desire to use, uh, particularly the Olympics as a form of uh, of empire building, uh, you're particularly by countries like uh, Russia, China, the United States, even you're going to see that level of corruption seeping in. So. Hopefully, hopefully not to the degree that it was over a 15-year period in our sport. But uh, anyway, move, let's move on to the next topic. Next topic, a rosier subject. An Irish sexagenarian, hopefully I got that correct, a 60-plus-year-old, broke the world half-marathon record for his age group last Sunday. Andrew, how fast did Tommy Hughes run? He just ran uh, 71.09 for the half marathon. Uh, it should be noted that, that Hughes is a, a 1992 uh, Olympian um, in the marathon. But yeah, he busted the, uh, the men's 60 world record open. Uh, it was previously belonged to Martin Rees of Great Britain at uh, 111.31. Um, and Tommy ran this at the Antrim Coast half marathon. But it's just uh, one of many records. For the guys, he, he's also run the fastest marathon in history for men, 55 uh, and over in 2.30.15. And he was 59 when he did it. So he was right on the cusp of wow. moving to the next age group. Um, it also should be noticed that he and his son, Owen, uh, hold the record for fastest marathon by a father and son duo with an aggregate time of 4.59.22 which I, I believe we covered in one of these podcasts before. And yeah. uh, Tommy actually ran faster than his son too, which is pretty impressive. Um, and, and he kind of grabbed the limelight in this race because despite finishing 33rd, uh, it was actually a guy named Sir Mo Farah who took home the win in, uh, in an hour 27. Ah. This is right after he, he broke the, uh, the one hour world record. So Fair's not getting much of a break lately. I feel like people keep eclipsing him. <laughs> yeah, I. So on that, Alex, what like, okay, one eleven. What's this? Yeah, what's a what's a seventy one minute uh, half marathon? Uh, what's the what's your thoughts on this in terms of like you like looking at data and that sort of thing? Uh, what's the how impressive is this? I mean, sixty years old, one eleven is it's good by any measure, but it's just hard to wrap my brain around it. Yeah. Do you, do you two believe in age graded tables? Oh man. <laughs> uh, Andrew, you go first. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm joking myself, but I, I it's something that I've never really thought of because I feel like I haven't had to address it yet. So I, I technically don't but maybe once i hit 50 and i'm kind of shaking my fist at these young kids who still have the hop in their step and are blowing past me on a run then maybe i'll say yeah let's let's age grade but we'll show up to the track with a pdf printed version of it to show what your 800 meter means well something happens in road race at some road races at some point in your 30s uh you start seeing the age graded equivalent next to your time (laughs) <laughs> and then you realize like, Oh, I actually like in theory ran a little bit faster, um, than I, than I did than the number that I put up that day. 
which I guess uh, is good for the ego, uh, but not a whole lot else because you didn't actually run that time. I'm of two minds about all this. Like, listen, clearly a 60-year-old running 111 for a half marathon is a many times more impressive performance than a 27-year-old running a 111 half marathon, like by a grand degree. And I think that's as evidenced by the fact that this guy ran in the Olympics in 1992 in the marathon. So he's clearly a world-class athlete and remains in an age-graded capacity, obviously a top uh global athlete in in his own realm. Um, And I I just think that like this, I don't know enough about the math and the science, and I'm not sure if anybody else does in order to like completely nail down that curve so that you can clearly identify exactly what the performance equates to uh, versus the default best performance in the world at that distance. So I'm going to, I'm going to hedge here. I'm going to say that like, On the one hand, I take age-graded performances with a little bit of a grain of salt. And then on the flip side, I can totally see why, like, it just gets so much harder. And it's, and it's, and I think it becomes so much more about both your talent, your pure physiological talent, and also your willingness to train at a high level at that age. I mean, I think it's just every training day becomes more difficult. Every injury becomes more difficult to recover from and more frustrating. So, and it, it just, I think it just becomes harder o- overall. So yeah, I guess I'm like, I'm as impressed by this as I would be maybe, maybe a world record in the half marathon, you know, full stop. I don't know. Uh, Alex, what's your take on it as the young, as the young buck in this conversation, what's your take as on the it? Young buck. Yeah. Well, I think I was looking at those age graded tables and, and I love those tables, like the IAAF conversion table, the age graded table, but they always tend to skew um, to kind of favor the extremities, it seems. But when it comes to aging, I guess that that makes sense because, well, like you say, there's so much that can go wrong um, for an athlete who's up there in age. It's the injury, it's the health. There's there's so many things that have to line up to to generate a really good performance. So perhaps that's why I think it's a bit skewed um, to help older athletes, but perhaps that's warranted. So to answer the question, um, the conversion gives Hughes a 58.13. So that's like 12 seconds shy of a world record. Right. And it's it's so hard to, you know, actually take a stance on it and say, oh, there's no way that that equates that or actually believing it. I, you know, I think I'll be able to answer the question better when I'm running and I'm 60. Yeah, I and I think an, another really interesting thing will be uh, – when he, when this guy gets up to his seventies and at the end, you know, the last say 20 years of your life, you know, realistically, if he's extremely healthy, maybe you'll live into his nineties. If you're still able to run at a very high level, like I think about someone like Ed Whitlock, who is uh, a, uh, he's now, he's died, but he was a Canadian uh, distance runner that set a number of world records in his 70s and 80s and uh i think this guy's numbers track pretty nicely uh in the direction of what whitlock did at that time as well and many people regard uh whitlock's performances i think particularly when he was 72 if i'm not mistaken he ran a 254 marathon and some tables indicate that that's like um 
maybe the greatest marathon of all time, like close to a two hour marathon type performance. Right. So, And if you look at Whitlock, it seems like his, um, his times get roughly five or six minutes slower per age category, which is also separated by five years. Um, and, and again, then you start to wonder, is that what the expected, well, let's call it a regression for lack of better. Like sure. is, is that the expected regression for someone or was Whitlock an outlier himself because he has most of those records. Right. So I, that makes it, you know, extra fun to see what's going to happen in the next 10, 15, hopefully 20 years for, for Hughes and how, you know, he can hold up this, this level of fitness. It's already quite remarkable. Let's, let's, let's cap this topic with a a little time capsule question. We're going to ask this question and then we can all revisit it in 20 or 30 or 40 years. Uh, Andrew, will you be running when you're 60 and will you be running competitively? And you think you'll be able to run quickly when you're 60? I wasn't. Yeah, that's a tough one. I've always told myself I don't really want to be the the master runner type competitively. But I, the longer I go, the, the less likely I am to give it up. Like I, I just can't quite shake running. And I can't quite shake competitive running like it still kind of has its hooks in me so I could see myself doing it for a while I think I'll run for as long as I can whether I continue racing I, I don't know that uh, maybe the occasional 5k or something Alex in 95 years when you are uh, 60 years old will you be running and will you be running fast health permitting absolutely <laughs> but I, I may have already grinded my joints too <laughs> at 25 so um you know also i think the the prospect of modern medicine becoming way better and getting some good anti-inflammatories and having them get stronger by the year gives me a good chance uh so yeah health permitting i'll be there you just want like anti-inflammatories like just coursing through your veins constantly from here on in yeah my stomach is probably going to be destroyed by the time i'm 40 by that point, though, Nike will probably have come out with like a, a full body suit that emulates a, the the new shoes, some kind of carbon plated body suit that lets you run until you're 90 and break four minute miles or something. So they're already saying that their shoes are supposed to also prevent injury or at least at least uh, enhance recovery, <laughs> limit injury. That has so been my that has been my experience, actually, in running in the Vaporfly shoes. That has been my experience that, you know a few hours after you finish the marathon, you, you realize that your legs, you're not as, you're not nearly as, as tuned up as you would have been uh, if you ran in an old fashioned pair of racing flats. So they do, they are onto something with that. You can bounce back much more quickly. Uh, I'll cap it by saying, um, yeah, my plan is to be running when I'm 60, but uh, I really hope I'm not uh, obsessed with it on a competitive level as I have been over the last number of years. Cause I don't think it's healthy. But uh, all the power to uh, uh, to the to to our Irish sexagenarian in his one uh, eleven half marathon. I wish I could run a one eleven half marathon right now. On on to the next topic. Next topic. We had a couple of really high quality world class Diamond League events uh, that took place over the last week. Figured we'd chat a little bit about the highlights. Uh, I was pretty excited about them, Alex, because as I'm noticing, each of these Diamond League events are now being freely live streamed on YouTube, which is incredible. And I assume available globally on the World Athletics 
YouTube channel. Uh, brilliant move on their part to to get the events out in front of people's faces and a great distraction in the middle of the afternoon when you don't want to be doing your work. Uh, can you break down uh, break down the, the Rome Diamond League event for us? Yeah, and I've been loving the YouTube stream. Um, yeah, a great way to watch. Uh, the Rome Diamond League was pretty small, but there were a few notable results. I think the race that really stood out was the men's 3K. And it's kind of hard to quantify a 3K because it doesn't happen all that often. So it's hard to remember what a good time is. But this was pretty self-evident. Four national records went down. Oh, and wow. three runners ran within eight seconds of the world record with it, which is not nothing. The world record 720 by uh, Daniel Komen from years and years ago. So, oh, yeah, right. um, yeah. So um, big year for Uganda, because not only Cheptegei is running well, uh, Jacob Kaplimo, uh, Cheptegei's compatriot, set a PB and world leading time of 726. And who's chasing him uh, and finished second was Jakob Ingebrigtsen, who actually just turned 20 today, which is insane the way he's running so well. Wow. Um, he ran a 7.27 and uh, set a Norwegian record. Third was Stuart McSwain, a Brit. Big year for Britain, too. So many runners running well. Um, set a British record, 7.28. And then a bit of a ways fourth was uh, Yeman Burhan Kripa. I hope I'm saying that right. Italian record. 738 so pretty blistering race there um the women's 800 was quite strong uh Gemma Ricci of Britain who's having a breakout season she's a young British runner living and training with uh, Laura Muir who's a bit more established and more of a has a bit more of a world presence there's been a lot of world championships but Ricci took the took the the crown 159 for the 800 uh, Muir was actually third in two flats so she's been running a lot this year so guessing that must be nearing the end of her season and uh, we can't we can't forget Carson uh, Warholm, who ran another great, not quite world record breaking race, forty seven oh seven in the four hundred meter hurdles. So after this year, and I think he made a tweet after the meet to indicate that this was the end of his season. He has run six of the thirteenth, six of the thirteen fastest four hundred meter hurdle. Uh, times in history and four of them come from this year wow. but still the world record of 46 8 7 eludes them just barely so um to me those were the three races that stood out in in, in rome and andrew uh the second meet was in croatia and zagreb uh break down the, the the meet there real quick for us yeah same deal there the the brits are, are coming out of everywhere i i don't know if it's just that everyone else is tired and has gone home from the diamond league but and they're just the only ones sticking around still but uh they in the men's 800 they went one two three um and they were led by 23 year old daniel Roden in 144 uh I, so it was still a fast time um and then it was elliot gills and jake whiteman right behind him and they beat out some like some pretty competitive guys. The the pre-race favorite, uh, Bryce Hoppel from the States, he ended up finishing fourth. Um, and he's kind of been right up there with Daniel Brazier a lot of the time. So, you know, it was a still a competitive race. Um, and in the men's 1500 meter, actually, there were, it, it was, uh, it was still a very fast time, not necessarily as fast as what um, was at some of the other Diamond League meets. But eight guys set PBs in the 1500 meters. So Australia's Stuart McSween, he took the win in 332. And then after that, it was just a slew of, of personal bests. With I believe one of the guys at the back also sent a PB in in 350. 
So Alex, maybe uh, get your agent on it. You might be able to uh, <laughs> win these diamond leagues. Yeah, my agent's been slacking, it seems, because uh, no calls lately. Now you're not running any. Uh, you're not running any midweek uh, diamond league events. Not jetting off to Europe. Uh, no, we're also no. Yeah. No thrift, no three fifties recently either. So perhaps that's part of the problem. Could be part of it. All right, uh, let's move on. Last topic of the day, guys. Uh, the site firstpost.com had an interview with Elliot Kipchoge about his upcoming and very unusual marathon in London in October. And in the interview, he also uh, had to tackle perhaps what is becoming the most enduring aspect of his performances other than the actual uh, world records themselves. Uh, Andrew, tell us a little bit about this conversation that Kipchoge had via email with firstpost.com. It is my legs that are still doing the running. Kipchoge, that was, uh, that was what Kipchoge sent first post in his, in his email. He, he went on to say um, to kind of defend himself against, against, People claiming that it's it's all part of the shoes. The shoes, Nike's new uh, vapor flies are the things that are, are making him run so fast. He, he went on to say, innovations are part of sport and always have been. With running, the effect of technology will always be minimal, especially if you compare it to other sports. Train hard and be disciplined. Be the best you can be and believe in yourself. So so very inspiring. He sounds a bit like a, a prophet. Um and kind of Michael, as you said before the uh, before we started recording, actually, it it almost sounds like uh, like Nike kind of wrote these up for him and yeah. he could just send them in emails to send out. But um, I, I mean, he legitimately sounds like he he believes it, and so I I give him credit. Uh, and obviously, he's still way faster than than the next guy. But I I don't know. I don't think I think if he was running in technology from Back in the day, would he be breaking two hours right now? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, it's a tough call, Alex. Um, what do you think about this? Do you, I mean, you're going to continue having the conversation over and over again. It's a very cir- uh, circular conversation at this stage. But, you know, with the number of performances that we've seen the last couple of years in this shoe, and now the fact that other brands have are catching up and producing shoes that should also keep driving their athletes performances faster and faster. It, to me, it just seems obvious that the shoe is, is part of the, the number that he's producing. Oh, well, obviously I think the answer is really on brand Kipchoge for two reasons. Like one of course is the stoic. He's probably floating in the air as he's typing this email kind of thing. But the second thing is, okay. We know Kipchoge as this really mentally tough guy. Uh, No nonsense, doesn't fail, is always on. You know, it wouldn't surprise me that Kipchoge dealt with that question once, right when the shoes came out, figured out his own canned answer, made himself believe and understand that he wouldn't entertain the question any further, put the shoes on and just run. Because Say you're, you're an athlete who's trying to break the two-hour barrier and you're always dealing with the question of how much am I doing? How much are the shoes doing? It's enough to drive you insane. It's enough to make you lose confidence in yourself. So, you know, it's it's like a funny thing and it's, it's a very on-brand Kipchoge thing, but also 
I feel like it's probably just some kind of mental mechanism to not get too invested into the conversation himself because it doesn't benefit him to get invested in that conversation. Yeah, he's a guy who just stays so eternally positive and even keel uh, that I would I would imagine you're probably right that he's he has uh, put it in a box the way he's going to respond to this and he doesn't really give it a whole lot of thought beyond the the canned response. One thing I did and- find interesting in this um, in this interview is he was asked if he thought anybody else would be able to run under two hours in the marathon. And his response is like kind of a little bit weird and vague, but, and very again on brand. Uh, but he said, um, everyone who believes that anything is possible, I'm assuming meaning if you believe that anything is possible, you have an opportunity to run under two hours. And then he continued by saying anyone who believes in themselves and are ready to train with discipline. Um, I assume he's just being like super positive and being like, hey, yeah, of course, there's probably a slew of other incredibly talented, high-level uh, distance runners who should be able to to do what I'm doing. Um, I, prefer, so just, I, I prefer to, just, I prefer to like, uh, I prefer to uh, um, like, imagine like cynical Kipchoge where he's actually kind of like, trolling Bekele right now where he's like you know anyone who believes in themselves and are ready to train with discipline can do it we'll see if Bekele's there undercutting his like a uh, backhanded yeah (laughs) is it a coincidence that you read this a couple days ago Michael and you just up your mileage a whole lot this week yeah I upped it from like from like zero to not zero yeah yeah that's right I read these I read these Kipchoge aphorisms and it just, he just, it fired me up. Okay. Final thing guys. Uh, what's, what's Elliot Kipchoge's, um, what's his email address? Um, <laughs> floating, floating swoosh one five nine at gmail.com. <laughs> No, no, he's a hotmail guy. Yeah, he's hotmail. totally a hotmail guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Andrew, do you do you have um, do you got an email address for uh, for the Kipper? Oh, maybe Elliot Fast Runner at uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think he's in the past too. Is AOL still a thing? I could maybe in Kenya. <laughs> it depends when he made it. If yeah, it's all about when he made it. A couple years ago, it's probably like up to date and all Nike, but maybe it's like I don't know. Like my old email address is like Alex Sear Hockey Zero Zero Two. Oh boy. Maybe that's maybe that's Elliot's. It's either gotta be like like Kipper one five nine at Nike dot com or like uh oh Elliot nineteen sixty two at hotmail dot co dot uk <laughs> <laughs> blink 182 was. fan no no at 1962 because that's his birth year because he's Probably like no uh, yes because he's because he's actually 58 years old right now <laughs> okay that's enough of teasing poor Elliot Kipchoge the greatest runner of all time all right guys thank you very much for joining me uh, yet again and make sure to subscribe to our uh, to this what you're listening to our podcast on 
Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Of course, uh, the newsletter, thexc.substack.com and follow us on the usual social channels at thexc.org. Thanks very much.